This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners. Our calling is freeing you to pursue your call to plant. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. You're listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planners try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. Today on the pod, we're talking with Preston Graham. Preston is the Executive Director of Mission and Abino, a church planning organization that is focused on scrap planting in conserved or post-Christian locations. Now for the usual pre-show banter, let's kick it over to Hunter Brewer and John St. Martin. John, I hope you're doing well this morning as we record this this episode. Yes, sir. Doing well. It is a crisp, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 degrees out this morning when I stepped out of my car. So we're getting into into the throes of winter up here in Fargo. That's rough. We're still watching the leaves fall here. Hey, John, I had a friend called this week who's an occasional listener to our podcast, and he said something pretty strong. He has worked in Fargo and he has worked in Memphis, and he said that he will take a restaurant your way called Mezzaluna over anything in Memphis. Yeah, that's right. Got our food game going on. Yeah, we're not friends anymore, but I wanted to let you know that. Yeah, so Fargo is an interesting place. We've got a lot of uh, young people who are, have really invested in the local restaurant and bar market here. So I'm not surprised to hear that there's some fanfare outside of our, our boundaries here, but well, today I wanted to introduce to everybody uh, Preston Graham, and uh, one of the things we like to do on our show is to highlight networks and opportunities for planting, ways for people to get involved. Uh, Preston is the director of Mission Anabano, which is a church planting collaborative based out of New Haven, Connecticut, and so uh, just wanted to get Preston on our show, tell us what's going on, what their uh, mission is, what they've been doing, what they're hoping to do in the future. So Preston, thanks for joining us today. Well, it's my privilege. It's uh, really great to be with you guys. I appreciate what you're doing. And, and hey, if you do get to New Haven, we might compete with that food issue. We have some great food <laughs> as well. I believe it. I think that's everybody's claim to fame, you know. Uh, well, Preston, why don't you go ahead and start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, maybe a little bit about your background, but especially uh, how you got involved with church planting and, uh, and then what you're doing right now. Sure, sure. So I grew up in Atlanta um, and not in a practicing Christian home. I guess like many in the South, I was a nominal Christian, but didn't go to church. And uh, anyway, long story short, came to Christ uh, my freshman year in college and got involved in the campus ministry um, at that time and throughout my tenure there. And then even afterwards, I went and did campus ministry for seven years, helped plan a, a ministry up at Purdue University. And, but mostly I was the director of a campus ministry down at University of Georgia. And throughout that whole time, um, you know, honestly, uh, the church was just sort of a, at best a, a good idea maybe. And I emphasize maybe it, it all seems so irrelevant to me. Um, you know, I, I liked being out on the front lines and felt like to me, most of the parachurches were doing that more than the church. So I had a pretty low view of the church, but after about seven years, I realized that I was theologically illiterate um, relative to the kind of work that I was being called to do as a, as a minister of the gospel. I would say I was very high gospel. I was very high missional, but I was very low church. I went to uh, Gordon-Conwell, uh, north of Boston where I really uh, began to sort of systematically over three years, just hibernate. I really had not been a 
uh, a pretty intense student uh, up until then, but really became enamored with study and and uh, so during that time, just sort of one, you know, started with, do I really believe in God? And I just kind of went right through it. And by the time I ended uh, my three-year period there, um, I really had come to the Reformed faith. Uh, I'd uh, never really, you know, experienced Christianity in the Reformed faith other than, so it was mostly a book understanding of it and uh, began to look for a denomination that, that I might find uh, attractive, um, uh, just, you know, in terms of going to a church. But I still hadn't resolved the, the church question, though I was on my way, um, through people like David Gordon, David Wells, Rick Lentz, uh, Meredith Klein, I could go on and on, um, really came to the place where I was asking the church question. And um, at the same time, though, I was planning at that time to go and start some kind of a study center, like what's over at Charlottesville, Virginia, for instance. Um, that was sort of my ambition. And Towards that end, I came down to New Haven and studied here at Yale, was uh, moving into a PhD uh, track with them in American religious history. And uh, it was during that time that I was doing, I was beginning to really think deeply about, you know, do I believe in the church? And I was discovering it more and more in scripture. I was discovering it more and more in, in, in a way where, um, you know, throughout church history, it, it came to me that that's where all the action had been. And most of the great theologians were pastors. And it just did a real somersault in my perception of the church as being irrelevant. Um, and it was uh, during my studies at Yale, sitting in a, a, a doctoral seminar with my professor, talking about the noble dream of historians. It's a classic that everyone reads. Mm -hmm. uh, that was where I said, man, I think I'm going to get out of this gig and I'm going to go I'm going to be a pastor, and uh, and that's where I sort of discovered that. Came across a guy. My thesis at Yale was uh, I, I wanted to look at the church in the midst of culture wars. It's become very relevant to me now. And so mm -hmm. um, anyway, so I came upon a guy named Stuart Robinson, and he had written a book, The Church of God, an essential element of the gospel. And that book, uh, along with people like James Bannerman and Thornwell and all the old school guys that I've been reading pretty much convinced me that the church was more than just a, a good idea, but it was by Jura Divino, by divine institution. It really was a carefully uh, designed, choreographed community uh, from the apostolic foundation with Christ as the cornerstone. And, and through that, um, kind of backed into, you know, while I was studying here, a group of graduate students were meeting and they'd asked me to teach a study, and I was. And by the time I was through with my first year and a half, um, they said, hey, you know, we, we, we need to plant a church like what we've been talking about here in New Haven. Um, there's nothing like this. There was not a Reformed church, uh, at least an evangelical Reformed church within about 80 miles. And um, anyway, so they kind of, I you know, I had a great church opportunity in Atlanta and came to the very end of that candidacy. And it was a love fest. Everybody was great. Love, love, love preached my final sermon and a guy walked up to me after the sermon. Uh, he was an African and um, in the church and he said, hey, I love your, your, your sermon, but can I just ask you a question? Why are you thinking about coming down here when you're up there in New Haven and Yale and there's no church like this up there? Mm. And it was a sucker punch. I mean, I literally went home and <laughs> got, got a little sick um, because I realized my whole trajectory had changed. So that's when God called me to plant a church. I didn't know what I was doing. 
just kind of backed into it. But um, now here we are 28 years later, and uh, we've become uh, not just a church, but a church planning movement, um, particularly targeting cities like New Haven, uh, places that are in frontier realms, post-Christendom or non-Christendom environments, um, you know, where our plants are uh, typically uh, scratch plants versus daughter church plants. Mm -hmm. And we had to devise a whole new way of thinking about church planning to do that up here. So with that, we've sort of crafted uh, a methodology that gets us to that. So there's the, there's kind of a long winded get you to the church planning part of it. Preston, what is Mission Anabino? Explain the name, which I had a hard time pronouncing. What is it? <laughs> What's the mission and how did it get started? Yeah, great. So, um, you know, Anabino, of course, is the Greek word for I am ascending or I am, a, you know, I ascend. And um, it, it really came about because uh, in my studies, particularly, um, I began to realize that uh, you know, there's a kind of lost historia salutis, as we call it in theological genre. The, you know, we think of the various historical um, events of God that are internally or intrinsically salvific. You know, with right. Christ, of course, we think of his incarnation, we think of his death, his resurrection. And it's almost inevitably, especially around Christianity a lot, where, um, where you just kind of skip over ascension and you go right to, you know, Pharisee, you know, his coming again. So, you know, birth, death, resurrection, he comes again. But the irony is, of course, the ascension is the very uh, ministry uh, that we participate in right now. It's the mm -hmm. ministry of, of Christ's ascension. And so what really compelled me was the Gospel of John. And uh, we took that phrase, that language from John. You remember the, you know, half of John's Gospel, uh, starting with, uh, I believe, around chapter 14, is focused on the ascension. You know, for John, the climax of Christ's ministry is the ascension. Um, right. The resurrection is important, but it's about the ascension, and he's talking a lot about temple. The whole book of John is is uh, patterned after the, the thesis that the Word became flesh and templed among us. And the second half of the book of John wants to articulate, and to that flesh, to that incarnational flesh of Christ added to it, is the church. Um, this church that's going to be formed by the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, in, in mystical communion even with, with, the, uh, with the disciples who would be planting this apostolic church. And so, so that's where we get it. it. It really comes to the place where Mary is grieving the loss of Christ. Um, and uh, as he is in the, in the tomb, or presumably in the tomb, and of course, this is the moment when Christ appears to Mary, and Mary's first reaction, of course, is understandable, where she runs to him, and it says that she clings to him. Jesus then says, you know, literally almost, you know, it's kind of startling, you know, it feels almost cruel a little bit, but, you know, in the Greek, of course, woman, uh, stop clinging to me. And then he says, Anabeno, uh, I am ascending, and yeah. go tell the disciples, I am ascending. Right. And that's the climax. And so that's how we got the name. And uh, interestingly, by the way, we commissioned Mako Fujimura, who's a great uh, uh, artist. And our chancel space has this Nahanga-style artwork that's uh, the Ascension. And we asked, we said, do a, a, a semi-representational vision of the Ascension. And we have this beautiful picture that's, or, or painting that's of the Ascension. Um, I won't go into all that unless you want me to, but um, it, it really kind of, 
coupled though that 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 side of Anabeno, um, you know, we I had come to believe in the church through divine institution, i.e., it was a command of God, and this is His organization, you know, His assembly. Mm -hmm. But through Anabeno, I began to see the church as the temple of God as well. It's more than just a covenantal community; it's also a, a community of divine presence. And you see some of the West and East coming together in unity here. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where we get Anabeno and its significance. So Preston, I just preached on that passage from John 20 last week as we've been going through the gospel. So uh, it's ringing true for me. Uh, you know, Preston, the first time we met, I was still a student at Covenant Seminary. You came and you shared the, the total Christ vision of Mission Anabeno and kind of what you guys were doing. Can you just go into, you know, a quick overview of, of what that is and uh, what makes that mission, that vision for church planting distinct? Yeah, so, um, well, uh, you know, Mission Anabano is a church planning network, first and foremost. Um, and, uh, you know, in that regard, then we are, um, you know, a, cl a collaboration of sending church planners into places, helping with some funding, um, coaching, uh, et cetera. So we are a church planning com uh, network. Um, you know, committed to strategically targeting sites on frontier-related uh, uh, context, um, and and all uh, we then want to uh, rediscover, I guess, the church not merely as a sending uh, uh, agency, but as a missional agency in its own right. In other words, what we our mission at Abano is then also a collaborative and missional ecclesiology. We're really trying to rediscover the church as a missionary entity. And so uh, we think, of course, of Leslie Newbigin and others, you know, who think of the church as more than just a, it's, it's, it's a church that's the locus of, of missions um, in, in that regard. So with that, um, we, we call ourselves, we're committed to what we call total Christ. Um, total Christ is a term derived from Augustine, totus Christus where he quotes John 1, 17, you know, the word became flesh and templed among us. And to, and then he adds from Ephesians chapter one, uh, you know, and to that flesh is given the church total Christ. Um, then we ask the question in our missional ecclesiology, okay, so how, how can we get beyond the pendulum swings? You know, churches reacting to other churches, and particularly within Christendom, that's what you see a lot. You know, when I grew up, yeah. you know, there may be 20 PCA churches. So how are they going to be distinct? Well, one church is going to emphasize maybe uh, the confessional uh, discipleship aspect. Others might be a little more sacramental. Others might be a little more communal. Others might be more, you know, we, we were very uncomfortable with that as a, as a full total Christ understanding. And so we simply did the hermeneutic question, you know, of, okay, where can it be said that in all of redemptive history, there's never been a time in all of redemptive history where this was not an essential element of salvation. Hmm. And when we did that study in a redemptive historical analysis with this idea of totus Christus, um, we found that, of course, there's never been a time in all of redemptive history where um, salvation uh, was transacted apart from a covenant. And so there's a covenantal uh, nature to the church. And of course, that gets you to what we describe as sort of the, the divine institution aspects. Uh, but we also found that there's never been a time in all of redemptive history where salvation was transacted apart from God's presence. 
I mean, we mm. think of Moses and his unwillingness to go and lead the people to the promised land unless God would go with him, you know, and then what does he do? God says, I will go with you. And then Moses says, well, hold on here. I, not so fast. You told me a couple of chapters back that, that, you know, we're a stiff necked and rebellious people. And, you know, you can't, you can't be in our presence. And that's when he, of course, reiterated the covenant, uh, the covenant aspect of it. Yeah. But I, you know, I am who I am and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And of course that's all predicated upon the covenantal transaction of, of the second Adam uh, fulfilling the first Adam's responsibility uh, to be our covenant executor. And so that's, that's, so Mission Anabana was both then a church planning network of um, coaching and collaboration, et cetera, but we're also a church planning uh, collaborative and missional ecclesiology uh, where we really are, we, 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 we want people who are more than church planners, but, but church planner theologians and people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and, and rediscover, reform in the true uh, simple referendum, you know, the reform the doctrine of the church in a way that is uh, the missional church. So we have five marks, and the, this will be my last point. Uh, we call it total Christ defined in five marks. It's missional, uh, and by that, again, we don't mean just the church that does mission. It's the church that sees itself as being the very power and presence of Christ, really, if not mystically, and if not necessarily, i.e., we're not the Roman Catholic version of that. Uh, we do believe the church is fallible, but ordinarily, even in our own condition, out of which there's no other, uh, possibility of salvation. Mm -hmm. So we see the church as missional. We see the church as it needs to be gospel-centered. You can have all the other marks of the church in the world, and we've seen that before, where it's just dead. There's no real genuine gospel-centered transformation going on. And then those are the sort of what we call the teleological marks, missional and gospel-centered. And then we have the instrumental marks, which is, of course, the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And we translate that to confessional, uh, uh, sacramental, and communal. And really, what's unique about uh, MA is, I mean, I would, I would think that if I go to any church and say, hey, we want to be missional, gospel-centered, confessional, sacramental, and communal, most churches within the broad <laughs> reformed generations, well, yeah, yeah, sure. What's so big deal about that? Well, I think what's really big deal about it is the key total. Uh, we really, really aim to see a church uh, in its healthiness be all five. And we, mm -hmm. and we keep focusing on how those five interpret one another. And they're all integrated, of course, in a, in a way of doing a philosophy. So it's really a theologically driven or theological vision oriented uh, church planning network rather than a philosophy of ministry, let's say, driven church planning network, um, even if we get to that eventually. Preston, what do you see as the future of this collaborative, this missional work? Yeah. So we started out with an ambition. We, it's an amazing story of how God provided in a way totally unexpected. But we started out with, uh, we, we, God more or less dropped a you know vision in our lap and then he dropped 3.5 million dollars in our lap and and that happened about eight years ago and with that our vision was to we called it 10 10 10 uh, 10 churches globally 10 churches locally which for us was southern connecticut and new england um and then all in 10 years so that right. was that's that's the vision that we are now we are now in and we are in our ninth year and we have a total of about 23 churches um, both globally and then here locally all together. 
Uh, so God has been good and we're running out of our money. And so point 2.0 is going to be to expand MA in the way of expanding our, our anchor churches. Right now, CPC has been the primary anchor church, even though other churches and people have certainly been participating financially. But we're going to be, uh, you know, basically taking the vision of MA out and um, seeing if other churches uh, uh, are, you know, would want to be part of that. And they would, right. be, they would have a seat at the table uh, in terms of choosing church planners. They would have a seat at the table choosing sites as long as it's within our, you know, we, we do want to keep our focus on frontier churches and scratched plants, places that need scratch plants. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll be expanding it that way and hopefully finding more money. And we have not really had a problem recruiting, to be quite frank. Um, our recruiters are our church planners, and hmm. we, we always have people who want to plant a church with MA. Um, that's not been a problem. Uh, they just, they love what they see. Uh, one guy called it the gold standard in terms of just seeing the way that, for us, our coaching strategy really is that we all just coach each other. I'm a church planner, so is everyone else. And, um, and we're just all coaching each other, uh, uh, whether it's best practices, but mostly it's just working through, you know, how to do church in a total Christ way. Preston, is this in the context of the PCA or is this open to all reformed evangelical denominations? Yeah, that's a great question. So our, our particular church is in the PCA. Most of our churches are PCA, but we do, um, what we look for most importantly is a five mark church. Now that's going to, I mean, I want to, I don't want to get too much into that now just because, you know, can we, but yeah, I, I would say uh, if we were, we're open to five mark churches, but we really mean that. And which means you probably couldn't be Baptistic, but you couldn't be Baptistic. Um, so we certainly see ourselves being reformed and uh, within those uh, traditions that are five marks reformed. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we do have one church that's the EPC uh, right now. Um, uh, you know, of course, churches internationally don't necessarily, uh, well, our churches are internationally are, uh, are all tied to the PCA right now. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, the one in Haiti is actually, uh, breaking off into a reformed, uh, Haitian Presbyterian church, but that's kind of what we want. So yeah, I would say reformed. Uh, but, but the key thing is it's that it's those five marks, you know, you can, we, we come across a lot of churches that have the three marks, you know, a strong view of, of, you know, preaching and teaching a strong view of sacraments, even, um, which again is a subset, I think of the PCA, honestly, and then, um, in a strong view of government and shepherding. But if you don't have the gospel and it, I mean, if the gospel really isn't what gives it its d definition, getting, you know, really the, 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 the gospel centered aspects. So it's interesting. We find, you know, we find real friendship with, say, the movement in, in, in Manhattan and their gospel-centered movement. But we find, you know, frankly, that, that we, we, we look for, so that's a high, we'd call that a high gospel movement, and we are a high gospel movement. Uh, but we're also a high church movement. And by high church, of course, we don't mean um, just liturgy. Uh, we're not talking about a liturgical, scripted tradition of worship necessarily. What we mean is a that understands the church as the mediatorial body of Christ, really. Um, that there really is a efficacious, genuine presence of Christ that's unique to the church when she gathers 
under the five marks, um, wherein you can say Christ has an address when this happens. Um, and you, and if you want to meet Jesus, come to church and you believe that they'll meet Jesus there. Um, so that's our, that's what we look for. Five mark churches within the reformed tradition generally. I can tell you as somebody who was exposed to MA early on, as I was considering church planting, it was so refreshing. Uh, you know, I kind of came up at the time when Acts 29 was kind of in its heyday. And mm. so that was gospel centered, right? And, uh, and I was at Covenant Seminary. And so missional was this, you know, buzzword. Mm. Uh, but to, And I came from a church that was very high church, very sacramental. Mm-hmm. But I saw the shortcomings that we just really only had, you know, just this one focus. And so your presentation on MA, that what you said in, in your lecture was, you have these five points and if you're a church planter or you're involved in, you know, a denomination, you kind of focus on one or two of them mm-hmm. and that's all you get, but you want all of them. That's and right. I just love that. Total Christ. And I remember your enthusiasm. Well, it was a wonderful conversation we had afterwards and I'm excited that you're church planning with us right now. And so the other thing I'll just throw out there, if, if you're somebody that's interested in planting in a, in a pioneer area, uh, a frontier, like you said, you know, so it's so different in terms of um, what that means and what that requires. And also just having other brothers who are doing the same work is such an encouragement. I remember coming to, to Fargo with the typical plan for church planting, you know, three to five years. Well, that works great if you start with a core group or you have this big interest of people yeah. and you're in kind of a semi-reformed area. But what I learned really quickly interacting with other MA planters uh, was, no, this is a much longer, this is, you know, you need to understand your context is going to be much more difficult than a lot of other places. And that's just been a really big encouragement to me, helped me recalibrate a lot of what the yeah. Lord's going to do through this. So. Well, I had that experience too, John, when I was planning a church here. Of course, when I came here, you know, I remember uh, went through the assessment center and I think we were the only church that was going to actually even do weekly communion. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'd go to the GA and with all the guys that I'd gone to the assessment center with. And, you know, within a year or two, they had a church of 200 plus people. And I was just getting, every time I went there, it was like a blood fest for me. I bloodbath. I was just feeling horrible. I felt like it's a horrible church planner and not, you know, I'm, I'm over here just trying to find people that want to be a core group. And, um, well, anyway, long story short, uh, that experience kind of gave me PTSD or something. And, but I did have a couple of people in, in, uh, Canada, particularly John Smed, who would say, you know, he kept in Preston, you know, you're doing a heroic thing. Just you're doing great. You know? And, and I just realized how important it was for people who really are doing scratch plants where, for instance, one of the methodologies we have as a scratch plant when a church planter gets here is I say, listen, year one, you're going to be a tent maker. And, and I don't mean, no, we require all their support being raised before for a five-year plan before they even get on the field. And with our grant as well, a part of that. But, um, but I said, no, you're going to be a church plant, you know, a, you know, a tent maker. And I said, what do you mean? I said, you know, what are you going to do? You're not going to wake up and teach a Bible study. <laughs> There's nobody to teach it to. You know, what you're going to be doing is just enmeshing yourself into that community. If you're a soccer player, go, go coach soccer. If you're this, go do that. What's really important about that is you start planning a church that's indigenous, one that really does reflect the culture and the people of, of that community rather than the, well, let's just say the, um, you know, you know, the few who are listening to Christian radio or podcast that may be in your community, but are just, are, are transplanted 
you know, oftentimes you have several people like that. Um, but we, and we want those people too, but we've got to plan a church that's, that's part, you know, that's localized. And so the, the temple trajectory of our spirituality wants us to be uh, deeply local. Um, even if the covenantal uh, aspect of our, you know, trajectory, uh, theological trajectory wants us to be global. And I, let me just say that one last thing. I think what you just described, John, about MA, you, you know, we kind of play with this, but um, we, we often hear the term both and in MA, mm-hmm. um, you know, whereas churches tend to be either or, and that's what you're getting at. The total Christ says there's no reason why we can't be both Giro de Veno and, um, you know, participatier uh, de Veno, which is divina, I mean, which is, you know, divine presence. So we emphasize divine presence and divine law or divine covenant. Um, and those, those have, you know, one is heat and one is light. One is, you know, you could go on and on um, how we begin to see those two both ands playing out in the way that we do things, but especially that we were at once very, very localized and therefore we emphasize the, but then we hold to universal elements of, of our theological and practice, you know, rule of faith and practice by good and necessary inference. And so the both and is we are always trying to distinguish, is this one of those things that from scripture we can derive from good and necessary inference as an essential, or is this one of these things that's more localized that is a more of a contextualized issue? And that's been a refreshing conversation for a lot of us. So Preston, somebody may be hearing this and catch the bug and say, hey, I'd like to get involved in that. Uh, you know, you have two ways, right? You have church planters, and then you have what you call anchor churches are available for planters, uh, maybe locally there, or even if they view themselves as potentially being a global church planter. And what does it mean to be an anchor church? Yeah, so we, we have right now two grants, 150 each, 50K each, uh, still available for um, a local church plant here in Southern Connecticut. And there are a couple of cities here that we're looking at. Um, and so certainly that's of an opportunity. Um, we also continue to add global church plants, but ironically, we, <laughs> because we, we're still looking for more funding for the global sites, because we've spent all of it, most of it, at least we still have a little, what people, church planners are doing, like the one we just started in Tokyo is uh, he says, look, yeah, I mean, literally, the guy said, "I'll pay to be a part of this. Can I just be part of it?" Um, and we wow. said, "Well, no. We'll give you a, we'll give you a what we call a, a collaboration grant of a, you know, of several thousand dollars that would pay all the expenses for you to participate in our coaching and collaboration and and annual collaborative, as you know, that we do every year. And um, so we we're we're giving some people, but no main thing is we just need more funding uh, because again, we have plenty of places to plant churches." that are frontier uh, around the world and even in, in our country now, particularly in, as we target, a lot of our plants are targeting what I'd call post-Christian uh, era, mm-hmm. areas. Um, so, but yeah, and that's, that's, those are the opportunities. Just give us a call, you know, you can go to our website, uh, um, and you can have every, all the information you want about us and how to, how to initiate a, a, a contact with us. Um, you know, several of the denominational, you know, organs have, have covered us, like uh, uh, By Faith has done an article on us, and M&A's Multiply has done an article. You can read about us in those those places as well. But So if you're a church planter and you're thinking this, hey, New Haven sounds like a place that is in need, 
I want to learn more about planting there. Get on the website. You can get Preston's contact. Uh, Jeff Hutchinson also is one of the recruiters that helps with that. But if you're a church or a network or, or, or whatever, and you're wondering, uh, you know, our area is doing well. Where, where can I invest outside? Where, where's, the, where's the need for church plants? Yeah. I think that's one of the real things that Mission Anabino really does is it, it's targeting those real needy areas. And so it's, it's a worthy investment, worthy to take the time to look into what's been going on and where they're uh, reaching out to. And mm-hmm. uh, and to throw your support behind it and be part of the part of the voice, part of the vision, part of making the decision about what's next. So, and uh, yeah, so some some anchor churches will. We have several types of anchor churches, but just to illustrate, some anchor churches will say, "Hey, look, we really see uh, uh, we see an opportunity to plant a church in X Y Z. Um, could we do? But and and they may even have some funding, you know, significant funding. Um, and of course, the church planners are going to have to go out and raise support as well." Uh, but, uh, but we don't really feel that we have the wherewithal to do all this coaching and, and collaboration and all that. And so sometimes an anchor church will come and say, Hey, we just want to plant a church, but we see your network is something that can come alongside of us and do that. And see, that's a great way for us to work. We, in some ways we prefer that. Um, we believe in the original jurisdiction of churches and Mission Anabano, while it's, it's certainly anchored by churches is not itself a church. Uh, it is a church, well, it, it's, a, it's a committee of the church, really, is, is the best way to put it. And so, um, yeah, that's one way. You may just say, we want to plant a church, but we just don't feel that we have the a capacity to, to create the coaching. And, and as y'all probably know, I mean, having coaching, and particularly coaching that is experienced and not just administrative, um, uh, is it, the, the success rate of churches that have support both both for their personal reasons. I mean, John can attest that when we get together as a collaborative, I mean, that's the safest place in the world for a church planner. I mean, no one's there. We don't let anyone show up except for church planners. And, um, and they get to tell war stories and they get to cry and bleed and, and encourage each other. And it's amazing how important having a, a collaborative like that is. So yeah, we could work with a church like that. Or like you said, a church could say, you know, we want to be part of a, a church that's planting churches somewhere and, and these frontier worlds. And we're willing to put some flesh in the game, obviously. And that would include not only would there be money in coming at, you know, to do, to be an anchor church, but we also want the senior pastor to participate in the theological, in our collaboratives. Um, because it's more, like I said, it's both. It's not just the money. It's not a network that gives money to plant churches. It's a, a collaborative and missional ecclesiology. And so we want the person that's at the helm of the church to be collaborating with us. And so that would be a, a, an aspect of what this person would do. Well, thanks for the introduction to MA Preston. Great to have you on the show. Once again, if you want to learn more, hit up the website on You can send me a message. Uh, I'm involved with this collaborative or we can get you the contact information for Preston as well. Uh, thanks for being on. And uh, we'll be continuing to pray for you all and and look to see the mission go forward. Well, thank you, John, for inviting me and for all you guys that have helped us. This happens. Seems like you're doing a great thing. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode. Thanks to you for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at 5PointsPlanting or by email at 5PointsChurchPlanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time.
Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.